Think you need to compromise who you are to advance your career as a black or brown woman? Think again. Because there's a playbook for corporate America and those aren't the rules. But you won't find it in college or on the job. I know, because I learned the hard way. And now I'm here to show you how the game is played. Hi, I'm Linda Talaferro, the Vice President of Quality at a global technology company and founder of The Tea, The Extra Effort, where I help black and brown women like you change the trajectory of their career with one-on-one coaching, workshops, and this podcast, Being Brown at Work. If you want to know how black and brown women are navigating everything from microaggressions to being the only person of color in the room so they can blaze their trail through corporate America, listen now. Greetings. Greetings, everyone. It is Linda Talaferro. It is, yes, that time of the week, being brown at work live, my favorite time of the week on Tuesdays. And I know from all the comments I've been getting, social media postings, you see the picture of this young woman, you know that we're about to drop some serious nuggets of information. As I just mentioned to her before we went live, that is truly life-changing. It can be transformational for you. So I'm going to reintroduce to some and introduce to others, Cassandra Rose. Cassandra Rose is a partner at Meritoc and is setting a new standard for helping organizations optimize their human resources and diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy. Having held roles at multi-billion dollar global brands and unicorn startups, Cassandra has developed proven strategies which positively impact the physical, mental, and financial well-being of employees and embed equitable practices. Cassandra has over 15 years of HR experience and is certified as a senior professional in human resources with a BBA in business management, a master's degree in human resources and employment relations, and a professional certificate in diversity, equity, inclusion, leadership, and healthcare economics. She is a proud member of the Forbes Human Resources Council. And for those of you who remember, I'm just going to bring back your memory, this is part three with Cassandra. Part three, we started in February talking about benefits equity and the importance of what organizations can do to assure that across all ethnicities and genders, that benefits are equal. There's the equity embedded in those, which is, as I read in her bio, one of her specialties. And then in April, we talked about benefits literacy, the fact that you just don't show up at that one time of the year, grab the pamphlet, never open it and read that booklet, but then you check off or don't even check off because you're not making changes and you really don't understand what's available to you in order to leverage it fully. We talked about that in April. And today in this session, part three, it's the final part. So get out your notebooks. We're going (laughs) to talk about how to create generational wealth. Cassandra, welcome back again to Being Brown at Work Live. Thank you so much, Linda, for having me. And you shared that I'm your first three-peat. So I feel very honored to be on your show for the third time. Thank you so much for the invitation back. Truly, truly an honor. You know, and as we were chatting a little bit, Cassandra, you know, I, I just felt that this was such critical topics that we've talked about over the past two sessions and now this third one, because 
fundamentally, I believe as black and brown people, women in particular, because we we are the glue within our families, right? That we really need to change our mindset about money, mm-hmm. about what it means to be wealthy, generational wealth. Share a little bit about your thoughts around our mindset and maybe some of the shifts that need to take place. Yeah, I'll actually take it from two different accounts. First, I'll start with my own personal account. Um, Growing up as a proud daughter of Haitian immigrant parents, being first generation, money was something that was always tight, but not necessarily talked about. And what I mean by that is um, I grew up in a working class neighborhood, not necessarily having a ton. We lived in a one bedroom apartment, 750 square feet, my parents and I. And sometimes we would have family come in from Haiti and stay with us for months, sometimes years at a time. Um, But I never felt that I lacked anything. You know, Mm -hmm. my parents were big Mm -hmm. believers. And if you had food in your belly, clothes on your back, a roof on your head, life was good because they came from an environment of lack. And so when I first started thinking through going to college and seeing those tuition bills, um, that's when I was like, wow, okay, there are people who can literally afford this, that their parents pay for everything. That's a completely different world that they live in. And I don't begrudge them that existence, but it's interesting to see how, you know, myself, I had to work my entire time uh, during college. I had to make sure that um, I was taking 18, sometimes 21 credits in an effort to avoid student loan debt. Um, And there are some people who did not have that extra layer of information that they had to deal with while they were just trying to study and experience college life. Um, And also growing up Christian. So one of the tenets of my family values was just, you know, you always are giving. You can't really think about money and materialism, right? And almost associating Mm -hmm. seeking wealth as a negative form of of greed, of, of just thinking about yourself and not really thinking about your community, your family. And it wasn't until I became a missionary, an inner city missionary, actually, that I realized that money is necessary. It's it's reframing that money is just a tool. People can use it for bad, but people can use it for good. Because when you don't have money, (laughs) you know, even if you're a nonprofit, you can't exercise your mission. When there is money, I almost equate it to oxygen. When you have a ton of oxygen, as we do right now, we're not even thinking about it. It's just this automatic thing that's happening in the background. When you have money, when you have the resources to accomplish your goals, it's this thing in the background. It's only when we lack that it becomes a major focus. So I would encourage and invite anyone who's ever thought about like, I don't think I should make a bunch of money. It's not that important to me. It is important because there are so many people who came before you to sacrifice for the opportunities that you have at hand and making money is your right. It truly is your right to make money that's abundant above what you need. So that way you can impact your community in the way that you truly want to. Gosh, Cassandra, you just said everything there. One, it's what we, how we look at money and the fact that money is a tool. That is, I mean, that's, that's it. It is a tool. But that last piece, oh my gosh, it is your right 
to earn it. Mm -hmm. It is your right to make it. It's your right to have it. And the fact that we minimize ourselves a lot of times when we're interviewing for jobs or, and we don't feel comfortable negotiating or, you know, it's time for that raise. And we did all the things, right. That would take us to that table to talk about the raises. Oh, we tend to shy away. And I, and I totally will agree with you because I was raised in some similar fashion. The materialistic thought process comes up, man, Linda, are you just greedy? Are you just focused? Mm. You know, you, you drive a nice car, you have clothes, you have a roof over your head. You should be satisfied. There's this, like, I don't know this, this thing where it's just, you, you should be grateful. That's enough. You know, it's just, and, and, and yet it has nothing to do with that. It's, I often say, and this is how I walk, uh, to whom much is given, much is required. I am Mm -hmm. worthy of that. Right. But I also feel that sense similar to what you said is that the money allows me to support my community, my family, my church, my, all the things that I feel compelled to be a part of that's what money affords me the opportunity to do it. And I'm so glad you used a nonprofit as an example as well, because we think of nonprofits, well, what they don't, but they use money as a tool. They need it. They need it. Right. Like what I usually joke, even with my employees is that, you know, you show up here because of the money. Yes. The values and the culture and all of those things attracted you and keep you in your seat. But if I turned off payroll there are a few people who would stay in as volunteers. Most of you would clear the organization very, Absolutely. very quickly, right? Absolutely. So if we all know we need oxygen, if we all know that we need money to meet our material needs, to meet our dreams and desires, then we should value what we receive as work. We should value the exchange that I like to call it the energy mm. exchange that I'm going to provide value to an organization. And in return, I want compensation that honors that level of value. That honors that level of value. Yes. Yes, Cassandra. It is a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. It truly is the right to earn. And then the honor of compensation for the value, the work, the effort, the time that you bring to the table. Absolutely, Cassandra. That I mean, could not have stated that any better. Could not have stated that any better. I'd like to really touch on, and, and this is something that, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and I have a nine to five. I'm out there on social media, right? As a lot of people are. And we see this on a regular basis. You know, the people that are posting about all their receipts and, you know, the get rich quick place and the only pathway is this. And I can help you, you know, triple and double all of those things. We see it on IG. We see it everywhere all the time. And and I'm an entrepreneur and I respect that. And I know that works for some people. But what I'm concerned about is that people thinking that is the only pathway to generational wealth. And that it can't be done for those of us who have decided, you know, I'm at a corporation and I want to be honored for the work that I bring to the table. So let's, can you share a little bit about your thoughts on, you know, that dichotomy, the the social media drawl and the the get rich quick. I know I had a, a young lady on uh, from tech and she's at USC. And that's one of the things that she really wanted to talk about. And she did in her session. 
you know, she wanted to warn everybody, don't come to tech and just think, you know, the switch, the light switches, Mm -hmm. it turns on and you're immediately a millionaire. That doesn't necessarily happen, (laughs) right? You have to warn people of that. So share your thoughts on some of that, Cassandra. Yeah, Linda, where I find a lot of Black women are going into that entrepreneurial route, there's a number of reasons that drive that. One, we're not paid fairly, right? So I already just talked about um, that it's honoring the value that you bring to the organization. And we know historically women in general are just not paid what men typically are paid, specifically right. what white men are paid. And we talk about pay equity and that that gap. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to wake up, put hours of efforts into something, then I want to make sure that I own it because I know my value. So I'm going to mm. charge what I need to mm. charge. And mm-hmm. I love seeing these stories, these success Absolutely. stories of people going out, making their mark and creating spaces. But let's not kid ourselves to know that some of it is to avoid microaggressions in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Some of it is to avoid the politics that come with not getting the promotion, not because you weren't the best or, you know, definitely deserving of it, but because you just know that that's not going to happen for you at that organization. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to address why people feel pushed into the entrepreneur journey versus yes. pulled into it as a, a passion yes. that they want to derive. So speaking to those who are in the nine to five, I hope that you take that reframe of money and go, am I being truly valued at my organization? Mm, From a pay equity level, that's a very macro thing. You would have to see how much all men are paid, all women are paid. That's something that HR is not going to disclose, let's be honest, for legal reasons. But do your your own research. Look at the titles, similar titles in your geography, uh, for what you do, for the amount of years that you've worked and go, am I being compensated? And I think part of the great resignation was just a lot of people pent up saying, I'm not getting paid enough. And I'm not saying just chase the dollar because you may, it may come with a lot more than you bargained for. <laughs> but if you are not being compensated, being honored for your contributions, you can still make a path for yourself through corporate America that doesn't necessarily include you exiting it because we Mm -hmm. still do need people to stand in the gap, to get into those leadership levels, to create the spaces for others to follow. So that would be my encouragement for people who want to continue down that path. And then for those who are thinking about the entrepreneurial journey and Linda, feel free to jump in here. I started it myself a little over a year ago. I will say it's different. (laughs) It's a different (laughs) mindset. It's different about the way that you work. Just because you're excellent at something doesn't mean that you know how to package it and create enough demand that's consistent that will support your desires and dreams. So make sure that you're taking the time to speak to other people who, you know, made that decision and gone out successfully and unsuccessfully to hear Mm -hmm. both sides of those stories Make sure that you saved up enough money that if your success isn't completely immediate, we're hoping that it is, but if it isn't, that you don't have to also scramble to figure out how you're going to pay your bills, how you're going to cover your rent, just your life things. And should you choose to continue on that journey, I hope you get around communities and within programs that teach you how to scale. Yes. So important. It's so important. (laughs) Starting is one thing, and that is an act of courage. Scaling, maintaining, being able to bring on your own employees and make even greater impact is something that 
has to be taught. It is not easily learned just through experience or it's very painful and takes an extra long time. So that would be my encouragement to those seeking that entrepreneur journey. And it's more than encouragement, Cassandra. It's some serious wisdom because I started (laughs) this thing in 2017. And I'm going to tell you, I tell people all the time, not, I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. And the impact I'm making uh, with the women that I engage with, and I love doing this, but I'm going to tell you what, I'll do that corporate gig again in a heartbeat because this entrepreneurial thing is no joke. But you you gave some uh, some really, really good wisdom and nuggets here because when you do have to educate yourself, that is so true. Just because you're good at what you do does not mean it's sellable. You have to know how to package it. You have to, under- there's so much you have to understand about the marketplace. And especially since a lot of it is driven with online Marketing mm-hmm. is so different than the the old way of launching a business. It's quite different now. Scale is critical, critical, critical. and understanding bring on employees or contracting. Most of what I do, I contract out. That works for my business and how my business case and how I set it up. But I had to learn that. Mm-hmm. I had to get business coaching, right? I had to learn that. So, oh my gosh, awesome nuggets, awesome nuggets. Yes, I I agree with you. I'd love to see people get out here and get be successful, but we also meet people in the corporate space. I just made the personal choice that I was going to do both. And I think it's just because of where I am in my career, in my life, it works for me right now to do both and how I've structured it. Uh, but I would say if you're in corporate America, I totally agree with Cassandra. We do need people like you, brown and black women, to stand in the gap, to to move the needle, to not totally say I'm done and all of us walk away, right? Because then, you know, all the hard work that Cassandra Rose has been doing for equity and other people are doing for equity just falls by the wayside. We don't have other people joining us. So beautiful nuggets that you gave us there, Cassandra. So, you know, again, see, you know, I I hate this, these sessions with you because, (laughs) you know, it's such powerful information that you're given. I want to make sure that we leave some good space that you can give people some steps. We're talking about creating generational wealth. And Mm -hmm. I want to make sure, because you said also something that was critical, that people understand it's not just chasing the dollar. I mean, that's just not what it's totally about. And so because of this, this is what you do. This is your expertise. Could you lay out for us three to five things, or maybe there's even more that you would highly recommend? And Cassandra, please feel free to tie in other things that you've talked about in the other two sessions from this earlier part in this year as well, if they're applicable. So let's help people figure out how do you go about creating generational wealth? Yeah, I'm going to start from a very non-traditional route. Go get preventative care. Go to the doctor, get your annual physical. If you identify as female and there's certain tests that you haven't, you've been putting off, go do that. If you identify as male and there's certain tests you've been doing, you've been putting off, go do that. Why do I start with physical health? One in three people will experience some type of short-term disability in their lifetime. Over 1 billion people on earth identify with a disability. Mm-hmm. When you are out of work due to a disability, that can impact your income and future earnings. 
let me give an example of women who go out and have babies. <laughs> Something that's been occurring since, I don't know, the beginning of time. <laughs> right. But for some reason, as a society, we still grapple with it. There is no federally paid family leave to address something that happens all the time. There's a few states and I applaud them that do that, uh, but on a federal level, there is nothing. And so a lot of companies have stepped into the gap to create parental leave policies, cover you, disability coverage and uh, whatnot. However, people still struggle, especially women as caregivers to balance work and home life. That's why we are at a 33 year low seeing participation of women in the workplace Mm -hmm. that inhibits women's ability to earn. Remember, we're already behind the ball from a pay equity standpoint. Then we take a harder hit when we have to exit the workforce and re-enter sometimes at lower level jobs or at the same salary we had five years ago. That's not keeping up with inflation. That impacts our ability to get promoted because they Mm -hmm. might promote someone who never had to take six weeks, eight weeks, a year off over Mm -hmm. ourselves. That inequity already can calculate over up to a million dollars of lost income over a period of a lifetime, right? So when you think about all these things, you want to make sure that as a woman, when you're thinking about leaves, whether it's to have a baby, to take care of a parent, whatever it may be, and honestly, anyone who may be a caregiver, look at the organization that you want to work at. And see, do they have policies that help not only accommodate those, but don't penalize me for taking Mm. advantage of those Mm -hmm. benefits? Let me make sure I'm healthy enough. So that way, those things that do have to happen, that I choose to happen, you know, that's one situation. But if you're ill, if you're sick, if you're not taking care of your health, you're more than likely to suffer from chronic conditions, right? Which then in it it may create barriers to your ability to be promoted, to show up for work, to be at your best. So as much as you can condition your body and condition your mind, get therapy. Mm. Talk about the things that are stressing you out. We are literally in year three of a global pandemic. There is no one walking around this earth who's like, I'm totally fine. (laughs) Right. There's no way. Absolutely. There's no way. So make sure that you're taking advantage of preventative care because that gives you the ability to be healthy enough to be able to do work, whether it's entrepreneurially or through a corporate environment. So that way you can make the most money that you can while while you're able to. So that's one thing I would want to talk about. Two is investing. I actually Mm. looked up to make sure I read this article correctly, but there was a New York Times article a couple years ago saying that even when women make more than their partners, they usually defer to the men in their life for investing in investment advice. Mm. I'm just going to repeat that. Even when women make more money (laughs) than their partners, they still give that part of their life away saying, I don't feel like I understand this well enough. Can you help me? And not mm. to say that necessarily that that person may be savvy. I am sure, you know, sure. married to a tax accountant. So, you know, he may be better able and equipped to advise me, but we need to take ownership of our own destiny. Yes. yes. And people may think, oh, it's because women aren't good at math, which is something I just destroy because that's a stereotype that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> but also you have to remember that there's been 
lots of barriers to women even being able to be financially independent. It wasn't until the 70s where we even could have a bank account without having a man associated with that. Yeah. Credit cards, mortgages. So if you think about it, we're like a generation and a half removed from the ability to have a job Mm -hmm. and finance our entire lives without the need of a spouse. And so take that into account. If you feel anxious about what it means to invest long-term, what it means to grow your wealth, seek out an advisor, pay for that part. I'm a big believer. You don't need to be great at every single aspect of adulting. That's why there's people with specialties. (laughs) Pay for that part, but own your future. That would be my recommendation, especially when we're talking about 401ks, 529 plans, when you have access to employee stock purchase plans, um, when you have access to equity through your company. These are several vehicles that are tax preferential that support your ability to grow money, sometimes without even thinking about it, because it just comes out of thinking about it. I just I'm going to interrupt you real briefly because I need something two things addressed because I hear it all the time. And it's so 401k. Yes. Join the 401k. Please tell people. And then when you get a bonus, if you happen to be Mm -hmm. in bonus structure, don't go spend all the money. Right, Cassandra? If anything, I would say to people, always negotiate for a sign-on bonus. You may not get it, but ask for it, right? Worst case scenario, they say no. If you're already at the point in the interview process where they want you, asking for a sign-on bonus is nothing. Um, exactly. to, if you, and don't use that money, Linda, I, I completely agree with you. Use your yes. bonus as complete savings because you should be budgeting for your life on your salary. Anyway, your bonus anyway. should be an investment yes. vehicle of either savings, money market, anything your financial planner would advise, but really start to think longer term. Yes. There's actually a phrase, and I want to get to this third point and then questions please, please. Um, around an empathy gap. When we think about ourselves 20, 30, 40 years into the future, we can't really identify with that person because we don't know who we will be, truly, who we will be then. And so we're okay with saying, you know what? I'm going to go to that vacation that's 10 grand instead of putting this 10,000 because I know who I am and I deserve a vacation. I don't know. When I'm 65, I'll just figure it out. But that is not (laughs) how life works. And so in any ways that you can just really think through, how can I smartly put something away for the future me? Literally, it's like handing money from yourself to your retired self and your retired self will thank you. Oh my God, it's beautiful. Empathy gap. Okay, go ahead. It's the empathy gap. And the last piece is your legacy. I spoke about that at our last session. And so when you think about being healthy enough to be able to work and earn a really good commanding um, compensation package, saving for a rainy day, saving for your future, investing in your dependents and your communities, what happens to it all when you leave? Mm. Right. When we think about generational Mm. wealth, we think about how someone's rich uncle (laughs) contributed to a future that made their life easier. Mm -hmm. A lot of those policies are life insurance. It wasn't this person was just so great at saving. They had a ton of money. They died young enough for their life insurance to be able to be cashed out. And that supplied the 
basis for a down payment or, you know, someone's college education. And it literally lifted one generation out of debt. Yeah. So when we think about all these pieces, I want you to make sure that you're coming up with a plan that's documented to be able to capture all these things. So that way it doesn't get lost in just the justice system of people trying to figure out where all your resources were saved or people taking advantage of that. Make sure you're leaving beneficiaries on everything. Make sure that you have a will stating how you want your estate. Yes, your estate to be given out, right? Your next generation will thank you and hopefully they also pay it forward. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. I truly believe in everything you just said. I have a trust fund. I have insurance. You know, I say this all the time. I patterned a lot of what I have in my career after my uncle, one of my eight mother's eight brothers and sisters, and the wise information he gave me. We lost him several years ago, but I tell you, it's made a difference for me because my mother, who's 94, didn't talk about money once she didn't know, right? She didn't mm-hmm. have this information. So oh, so it, it's just, this is so great, Cassandra. I do want to mention a comment um, that one of our LinkedIn uh, viewers just said, this person said, I believe 401ks, 403b, Company saving plans are overrated. Your money should always be working for you, have enough for emergencies, but keep your money making money by investments. And I think it's a personal choice, right? How everybody handles their finances. So you want to respond to that comment? Yeah, I think that's a really good point to raise as to why someone would choose to contribute to their 401k plan within their organization versus investing on their own. First, you know, by not investing in retirement plans, you may be leaving money on the table because a lot of employers do a match of some sort or are willing to, you know, are willing to contribute some portion of money when you do. So always be mindful of that calculation of by me not investing my 401k, how much am I potentially losing by not taking advantage of that match? Secondly, most Americans embarrassingly have less than $1,000 in savings. Um, The reason that 401ks are so popular is because it's an almost set it and forget it kind of plan. And honestly, for some people, that's the only retirement vehicle that they have. Right. And so if you have the agency and the comfort level of wanting to invest on your own, I completely agree. If you can find a better pathway um, than your company 401k plan, do it. But most people do not either make the time or have the time. And if yeah. you can, I would always contribute to your 401k because that's, again, money coming out of your check that you don't even have to think about being managed yeah. legally by people who are going to make sure it's to your best service. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wonderful response to the comment because I agree. I mean, if the person that commented, I mean, if you are wise and you how to, how to invest and you're disciplined, Def, by all means, I, I totally agree with you. But uh, to Cassandra's point, there's so many people who are not. Uh, and the 401k provides them that tool. And yes, everyone has an estate. Yes, they do. Everyone has an estate. Everyone has an estate. Everyone does. Oh my gosh, this has been great. Look, if you're catching this on the replay, love, please, and a lot of you do, 
put comments in, even put questions in, because I stay in touch with my guests and Cassandra's phenomenal at responding. Uh, she will definitely address any questions that you may have. You can also find her on LinkedIn. You can find her on Instagram and ask her directly yourself. So if you're catching on replay, you've got some concerns uh, or any uh, other things you'd like to address. I think somebody just popped up here. Can you talk about being invested in a company and a 401k if you're not invested? Will you not be able to keep the money you've put into the 401k when you leave the company? No, you can take it with you, sweetheart. I get who I should say, sweetheart. I don't even know who you are on LinkedIn. <laughs> my, my apologies. But my I'm quick 10 you. second response to that Go is yes. your money is always yours. You always. never lose that money. So yes, of course you can take it with you. How vesting works at your organization, you can find it in the summary plan description, which is required by law for them to give it to you. So just read through that and you'll know your answer. Boom. There you go. You got your answer. I'm glad I saw that because that's a really good question. A lot of people are reluctant to put their money in because if they leave, they think the company keeps it and they don't. So great. I'm so glad you responded. Investing is important too, to know when the match that you, <laughs> to sweetheart, Ella, <laughs> thank you for, for taking that. I didn't mean any disrespect. So I appreciate the humor. Uh, but yeah, the, the vesting is important to understand whether that match comes with you when you leave or not. So that's why reading, you know, when they give you this information, read it, dive into that, and even reach out and ask questions. Cassandra, mm -hmm. this was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I'm so grateful for your time over these three sessions, February, April, and now today. Um, it's invaluable. So thank you for honoring being Brown at Work Live. Deeply appreciate you. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you to everyone listening in. I really hope it changes someone's trajectory. And if it does, please let Linda and myself know. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, everyone, until next time, take good care. If you found this podcast empowering and are ready to master the skill that can take you anywhere, Get my free guide, Workplace Confidence, in the resources section of this episode.